The following Noble Path talk is part of an informal series offered to Sangha members over Zoom during monthly online meetings for those who've been practicing at the Zen Center of New York City, Fire Lotus Temple. Each Sangha member shares their experience of how they came to find the Dharma and how their practice has been developing. We hope you enjoy the diversity of voices and experiences. Thank you for listening to this place and how they came to Zen. So I hope I'll hear everyone's story eventually. Um, so with my practice, a lot of it has engaged with my own disability, which is one of the main reasons I came to Zen. Um, and so I was going to share more about this tonight. Um, so I have migraine, which is a chronic illness. It's a neurological disorder that causes severe and debilitating headaches. And for me, it officially began in 2011, when after uh, becoming ill and throwing up in the doctor's office at my university every Friday for a couple of months, like clockwork, a physician decided I wasn't just experiencing a stomach ache. Um, and so I, I suspect that this disease began even sooner, which came out of a history of abuse and trauma and this kind of anxiety um, one where my ability to listen to myself and my body was silenced. Um, so my migraines reached their peak in 2018 when I was traveling to exhibit my architecture's practice, my architecture practices work. I was teaching too many courses and pretty much exhausting myself in the hopes of becoming a full-time academic. So um, in the spring semester, which is more like winter of that year, I actually got bronchitis, which developed into walking pneumonia that I didn't know I had. I was having near constant migraines, so I was pretty much always in pain. And then I was also foggy and dizzy from the effects of the meds that I had to take many times a week. So I could barely walk up the stairs to the train. I would be sitting on the floor of the subway car while I was commuting just to get to work. And because no one really knew I had a disability, I guess, you know, they, they didn't really like give up their seats for me or anything. So it was, um, you know, a hard time. I was running out of my lectures at school to throw up in the bathroom. Um, so laying in bed pretty much whenever I wasn't working, I would wonder if I was having an aneurysm and I wondered how anyone could live through that amount of pain. I just didn't understand why <laughs> it existed. Um, so I feel like, you know, in that process, at some point I felt like the only thing that was left was surrender. So as my brain was just setting itself on fire, I found this new place Um if it hurt to think, I just wouldn't think I would just exist. If I was only pain, I would just be that. And looking back, I think these days of migraines were my first kind of zazen, but at that time I didn't have all of you. Um, and so what I want to share is the story of how you all came into my life, um, how you transformed this experience, which was isolated and painful and existential into something deeply spiritual and relational. Um, and I want you to know that you gave my life meaning. <laughs> so um, this is my story. 
Now I'm going to try to tell a joke to give myself a break. <laughs> um, so several years ago, I came to the temple in a very traditional way <laughs> through a Google search. <laughs> Looking through meditation centers in New York, I found one three-star review that seemed to capture what I was looking for. Average Zen Center, it read, <laughs> neither good nor bad, a bit dusty, not much to see here. <laughs> Maybe Zen was the practice I needed, I thought. A childhood spent as a Southern Baptist had turned me off to religion in general. I wasn't looking for someone to tell me what to believe in or how to live or what faith was. I simply wanted to sit in a room with other people while I practice the kind of meditation that I had read would stimulate my vagus nerve, which is a practice that's known to reduce migraine frequency and pain without altogether eliminating it. And from what I've read, the Zen practitioners were the strictest. So after searching for about 10 minutes, I decided to go to Fire Lotus Temple that same night. I knocked on the temple door about two minutes after practice started, a usual late arrival for me, and being one opened the door, and I relayed to her my predicament. I need to learn to meditate. Can someone here show me tonight? She replied, the monks can train you on Sunday morning, and then you can start to practice. Sunday morning, it was Tuesday. How could I last that long? I needed something to change. I was desperate. So I eagerly awaited that Sunday and then arrived again two minutes late to a group of people chanting. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So after enduring this chanting and then being taught to meditate and making it through my longest period of meditation I'd done thus far, which was only one period, it was time to listen to something called a Dharma talk. This was terrifying and uncomfortable. I was in some other version of a church, again, listening to someone I didn't know talk about life. The man with the giant eyebrows had something to say. We'll see about this, I thought. He was talking about the path to becoming a student. You have to ask for the teaching, he, he said. The teacher can't want the student to learn more than the student. Otherwise, it's abuse. I'm not sure if I can capture his sense of desperation. I don't think I can channel him now, but I felt it in the stakes so starkly. Perhaps that was because unacknowledged by me at the time, I'd suffered from abuse as a child, something I couldn't yet confront, or maybe also because I was a teacher and I recognized the truth of something I hadn't yet learned or put into practice. I aspired to cultivate devotion and inspiration in my students and from the statement, honestly, to transform my whole approach to teaching. So I thought, maybe this guy knows something after all. And I came back to see who he was. He shared his story of learning where he came from, of confronting the abuse in his family. And I saw the power in that practice. I sat more and more and decided <laughs> to cut off my arm, whatever that meant. <laughs> I decided sitting would become more important than my academic achievements. And I found myself waking up at 7 a.m. and going to sit in a dark room all day Saturday. <laughs> but I was still terrified of meeting the Sangha. What if meeting them made me lose faith in the practice? And yet by meeting people, I gained more faith. 
something was waking up inside of me. I found a spirituality that I thought had died with my Christianity. I found a way to be an atheist without killing my belief in the unknown. I found people who weren't afraid of the questions I had about life and dying and who weren't afraid of me. In fact, they seemed to like me. <laughs> um, so last year, five weeks before all the grocery stores in New York City ran out of toilet paper, <laughs> my partner of eight years and I broke up. I moved out of my apartment and into a temporary place and came to an early morning service. I sat in one of the back rows as usual, which was ironic given there were only four people there and they were all doing service positions. When we started to chant, Hojin came to me and said, come closer. And the floodgates opened. I couldn't stop crying. Um, I thought the part of me that could connect with this divine source of life was gone, but there it was. When I left South Carolina to come to New York, I always felt a bitterness that I lost something I'd never be able to recover. I felt different. I felt unacceptable and divided. As a Christian, I once felt faith was a way to address the sublime terror of life and death. But in my church, I wasn't allowed to fully examine this doubt. But in this practice, and the kindness of the monks and all of you touched me so deeply. Um, and I guess just let this crying out. So I wanted to share the story that, in fact, my friends who were not Buddhist and didn't understand what I was doing here referred to me going to the temple as going crying. And they would ask, did you go to cry today rather than did you meditate? <laughs> For the longest time, and sometimes now, I became fixated on the fact that I have so many tears to shed. But I really wanted to share this one passage from Dogen that I found a few years ago that really sums it up for me and helped me to understand what I was feeling. So this is a couple of paragraphs. Um, he says, this was the first time I had seen the Kishaya, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, held up in this way and I rejoiced, tears wetting the collar of my robe. Although I had read this verse of veneration for the Kishaya in the Agama Sutra, I had not known the procedure. Now I saw it with my own eyes. In my joy, I also felt sorry that there had been no master to teach this to me and no good friend to recommend it in Japan. How sad that so much time had been wasted. But I also rejoiced in my wholesome past actions, which, has which had caused me to experience this. If I had stayed in my land, how could I have sat side by side with the monks who had received and were wearing the Buddha robe? My sadness and joy brought endless tears. Then I made a vow to myself, however unsuited I may be, I will become an authentic holder of the Buddha Dharma, receiving authentic transmission of the true Dharma, and with compassion, show the Buddha ancestors authentically transmitted Dharma robes to those in my land. Okay, that's the end of that quote. <laughs> so by coming home, I learned to meditate and listen to my body. 
I started to sometimes feel the switch when a migraine was coming on. I could sense things I'd made myself numb to. And after so long feeling bitter at my illness and all I felt it had, it had taken from me, one day I learned something else over tea and cookies. As Hogan told me, your pain is the source of your compassion. And so I was for once filled with gratitude for who I was. And as Hojin prompted me, I learned to come closer. Thank you, Virginia. That was beautiful. Thank you, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And um, it's been wonderful having you at the temple. And I'm glad you made it. And I hope you spin around again on your, on your path. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.